Good morning. Just, I, lo- I love we're part of a church planting movement. We're part of a movement that wants to multiply. And we multiply small groups. We multiply leaders. We multiply churches. And uh, just wanted to mention Phil and Lisa are here this morning. They're about to, or kind of have started planting in Darlington. Um, and at the end, we're just going to ask them to come forward as part of ministry time to be prayed for. Some of you will have senses, words, encouragement, prophecy, I'd say speak it out, they need it. We've been there ourselves, you need cheering on, and sometimes the Lord will drop something on you for them, and it it could be quite profound. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I have quite a creative imagination, and um, I woke up this morning with a few things on my mind. I'm like, why is that on my mind? And um, I was, you know, have you ever seen a car, like, in a ditch or go off the road? And you get those lorries that have the big long cable on it with a windy handle. It's actually now it's like probably electric. You just press a button and it it pulls the car back onto the road and shoves it on the recovery truck. And um, then there's the other way of doing the same thing where you get the lorry that's got this massive grabber and it kind of reaches out and, you know, they put the, the thingies down, whatever they're called, and it like lifts the car back on the road. Then the other thing I was thinking about is there's the old school way where you just get a load of lads and they just shove that car back on the road. And um, as I was thinking about it, I just thought, gosh, I think the Lord wants to do that with us this morning. I think there's a load of people, you just feel you're a bit over there, and he wants to say, hang on, come back on the, come back on the path that he's got for you. And um, I'm praying he's going to do that this morning. And I think sometimes he does that using other people to help you, to encourage you, to stand alongside you. And they might end up with a bit of mud on their face as they fall flat pushing that car, but they're in. And I think it's important you know they're in. There will be people in this room who are in on your journey and want to help you and want to cheer you on. And yeah, before before we started, I wanted to, to mention that this morning. The other thing was, um, just wanted to give you a quick update on a few things. Obviously, um, not very long ago as a church, you gave an incredible amount of money towards the Living Room Project. And I don't intend to give us an update every week of all of the ins and outs, but I realize it's been a few weeks now, and I thought it might just be helpful to briefly give you the lie of the land. Firstly, the amount of money you gave was was staggering. Um, part of the reason we needed that money was, yes, to do the project, but actually to give us credibility particularly with the council. They, they love the heart of what we're trying to do, but they couldn't see how financially um, that could work or it could be anything more than just a wild pipe dream. And um, so currently there's meetings and negotiations and all sorts underway. The, the key councillor that um, we shared some of the thinking and vision with beforehand who said, I think I said it in the vision talk, if you do what you say you're going to do, then I'm not going to stand in your way. He's now kind of swung into, you can kind of do whatever you want for it and even use it as a church thing if you want. And isn't that amazing, the power of prayer and the favor that that kind of sits on us? And um, thank you for your prayers and let's keep praying because don't you long for that more in numerous settings and with numerous paper, uh, people. Now, I think there's two ways we, we could now go forward. One is, we could say, hey, there's a, there's a few quid in the bank. Let's get on with this and see what happens. That's one way. And the other one is we could say, hang on a minute. Now let's see if we can do this the best we possibly can. And um, prior to having that money, we'd been working on proposals and plans and, 
And now really they need fleshing out in the reality of knowing not only what we've got, but also what we might be able to do. And I think crucially with the amount of money that's been given, it would be unwise to not explore all the options that could be on the table through match funding and, and various other things. Imagine if we could significantly add to what has already been given through funding through other routes and really capitalize on the moment. So rather than seeing anyone dashing anytime soon with paintbrushes and drills and if that's even gonna happen, but rather than that, I think stuff is going on behind the scenes and probably will do so for about six months. And there's conversations and negotiations pretty much on a daily basis in numerous different areas. And I think this is a, this is a key time for really seeking to see wisely what we might be able to do and to carry out due diligence and of course spend some time listening and seeking the Lord and seeing and letting him shape us and direct us as he sees fit. So I guess in many ways the update is there is no update. Um, that said, we're not standing still. Um, we want to press heavily on the pedal of loving and serving this city, but we want to do it in the wisest way possible. Now, with all of that in mind, if we just park that, one door that is opening, or has at least started to open, is to get into Manchester prison. Now, many of you will have a heart for that, and uh, we'd just love to know who it is that has a heart for that. Manchester Prison, if you don't know, is a maximum security prison. Um, that alone significantly changes what we can do and how we can do it. Clearance to get in would take at least nine months, uh, which is no quick thing. So we're partnering with some friends that we've come to know at HTB who are exploring the opportunity of us potentially running the Alpha course in the prison. Now, the likelihood is around September time, they might send a team to train us and train whoever would like to do it to be trained. Um, just a few things to say. One is it may not happen. Uh, the door is kind of slightly ajar. It's not fully open. We'd appreciate prayers for the prison, for the governor of the prison and the chaplain of the prison. Also, not all of us could do it. It'd just be really interesting to know who would have a heart for it. Um, the training would not commit you to doing it. Actually, it might be a really interesting thing for you to do just to work out if it is something that might sit well with you. Um, and it's likely to be something that the, the opportunity would likely be midweek during the day. So if that, I think some of you will already know you're passionate about that. It'll have already stirred in you and you're like, oh, there it is, there's my opportunity. If, if that does start to resonate with you, if you could let Pascal know, that would be great. She coordinates some of our compassion ministries and we'd, we'd, we'd love to um, press in on that area and see if that door would fully open. Um, yeah, as we, as we start this morning, I, I wanted to mention, you know this, but we're a church plant and we're right in the early days. And we wanna pioneer and we wanna create more ways for you to be involved, to practically do the stuff that Jesus did. And really, we don't want our, our, our faith just to be head knowledge, it needs to be lived out and to have opportunities to do that. And that's kind of what I really wanna go, where I wanna go with this series as well. I started a couple of weeks ago talking about the gifts and we focused on, on prophecy. Sometimes, I, well, not sometimes, most of the time, I think it's easier just to be a spectator. But we don't want to be a people of spectators. We want to 
get involved. We want to do the stuff that Jesus did. And that's kind of really what the vineyard is about. We're a church of activation. And we want to see you activated in your faith and live it out. And so on the, the subject of the spiritual gifts, we believe they're for everyone. We don't believe that they're one-time permanent abilities, but they're passing touches of the Holy Spirit available to us all. They're, they're kind of little expressions of God's grace. And ultimately, the, the gifts are expressions of his work, and they're developed in a climate of risk-taking and a willingness to be involved. And so this, this is a series. If you missed the first one, I'd encourage you to catch up online or, or catch up on the, the podcast. But today I'm going to focus specifically on ministry and serving. Let's, let's have a quick look at the passage I'm anchoring it around, which is in um, Romans 12, starting at verse 6. So if you've, if you've got your Bibles, Romans 12, verse 6. And it says this, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to, to prophesy, speak it out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. That's where we're going to land today. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And today, I just want to land on, on verse 7 of that. It says, if your gift is serving, serve them well. Now, have you ever found that when it comes to serving or even thinking about serving, you can have so many obstacles and so many things that stand in your way? Let me, let me just give you a few that you might have. Why should I? That's quite a good one. Surely someone else should do it and someone else could do it. If I'm honest, I actually just can't be bothered. I'm too busy. That job is beneath me. It's so menial, and I'm way above that. I'm so, 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 so tired. I am so tired. I'm sleep-deprived. I'm not just tired. I'm sleep-deprived tired. I've got kids. I would do it, but I don't want to do it with them lot. I've got a bone in my leg. I'm more of a prayer than a doer. I'm quite happy just to sit on the edge of things. I don't, want looking, I don't want locking down. I just need a bit of freedom in my life to do whatever I want whenever I want. Now, you might have your own list. That was my list just before I got out of bed this morning. No, I'm kind of joking. Some of them are probably there. But I think you could add, add your own list. You'll have, you'll have many that you could add to that. But if serving and ministry is for all of us, which I believe it is, then the question I think we've got to ask ourselves this morning is how mature, how whole, and how holy do you need to be before you can be trusted to be serving and ministering? Now, I think the answer is you need to be as mature, whole, and holy as the disciples were when Jesus trusted them with ministry and serving. So let's just have a quick look at the disciples and some of the remarkable characteristic traits that they showed. 
So Mark 34, they were ambitious. Jesus asked them a question, and it says, but they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Brilliant. Next one, they were argumentative. Again, you can see it in Mark 9. Next one is they were cowardly. Peter disowned Jesus three times, Matthew 26. Next one is they were critical. The disciples questioned the waste of the expensive perfume that had been used for anointing Jesus, Matthew 26. Next one is they were deceived. The disciples experienced failure in their ministry. Matthew 17 says, so I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't hear them. Next one, they were deserters. Everyone deserted Jesus and fled. Mark 14 says, then all, the, all, then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Next one is they were doubtful. The disciples doubted Jesus' ability to repeat a miracle when he was about to feed a load of people. Mark 8, in John 20, Thomas temporarily doubted the resurrection. At times, they were just on another planet. Matthew 15, Jesus says to his disciples, don't you understand yet? Don't you understand yet? Because they still didn't understand his teaching. They were faithless. They lacked faith, which surely this whole thing is about faith. Matthew 17, they lacked faith, and therefore Jesus asked them to increase it in Luke 17. Some of them were greedy. Judas was a thief, John 12 and he betrayed Jesus, Matthew 26, for money. At times, they just misunderstood completely. Matthew 16, Peter starts rebuking Jesus. They were lacking in prayer, Mark 9. Jesus then had to teach them how to pray in Luke 11. This is probably my favorite. They were full of revenge in a quite unbelievable way. In Luke 9, they wanted to call down fire on an unbelieving village. You kind of got to read it to believe it. When, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Brilliant. Jesus turned and rebuked them. <laughs> so they went to another village and probably did a similar thing. They were unforgiving, Matthew 18. Peter lacked an understanding completely of what forgiveness was. They were unloving. They rebuked the parents for letting the children come to Jesus. Mark 10, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Hang on a minute. It's almost like, what? But Jesus, but so, sorry, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. Now, I could, but I'm not going to. We could go on and on and on and on. We could spend the whole morning talking about it. These are the people that Jesus appointed and anointed to minister in his name. Amazing. Luke 9, one, Jesus, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Clearly, I would say, this bunch of people were not yet mature, whole, or holy. And yet Jesus chose them, commissioned them, and sends them out to do the stuff that he did. It kind of doesn't get a lot better if we look at the early church in Corinth. Paul lists off a shocking list of previous character traits and behavior. 
that you can see recorded in, in 1 Corinthians 6. But then he says this in verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The, the first thing I wanted to say this morning about serving and ministry is don't write yourself off. Jesus does not write you off. Ephesians 4 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Paul lists off a few gifts. They're just a few. If you don't identify with them, I'd say don't worry, because he goes on and says other stuff but in other places. But it says this. It says their responsibility, the responsibility of the gifts is what he means. Their responsibility, that's what we're talking about. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work to build up the church and the body of Christ. Verse 13, and this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Maturity comes through ministry. Maturity comes through serving. It says this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The unity, the knowledge, the maturity, and the wholeness came through involvement in ministry and serving, through serving and through ministering to others. Now, honestly, I think if we really understand that, it kind of changes everything, because you can no longer say, hang on, I need to wait. I need to wait till I'm mature. I need to wait till I'm whole, and I need to wait till I'm holy. Re you can kind of no longer say, well, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not equipped. You, you start having to say, okay, I'm in. And as I'm in, I'll be changed and I'll be refined in the process. I, that song we sang this morning, um, just about loving Jesus, do you remember Peter says that to Jesus and Jesus says to him, hey, go and feed my sheep. He's not saying, hey, you're the perfect finished article. Actually, they were having a bit of a wrestle between them in that moment. But he says, go and get on with it. Go and feed my sheep. If you love me, you're going to do what I've called you to do. You're going to be obedient and you're going to go and make an impact in the world around you. It's always been what we're going to be about as a church, we're wounded healers. We're perfectly imperfect people who come and as a result of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, we don't stay as we are, but we allow him to change us and refine us and mold us and shape us. The disciples are the perfect example, I think. Have you ever been grumpy, argumentative, full of pride, a bit arrogant, had some rough edges, a bit lonely, unforgiving, greedy? All of that and more. Well, kind of so were the disciples, really. And I'm not saying that's what we're aiming for. I'm not that saying that's what we want to be. The disciples certainly weren't able to get away with it. Jesus challenged them, he shaped them, and they started to become more like him. But he didn't count them out. He didn't wait till they were the perfect people to start using them. You can't turn a parked car. The car to steer it has got to be moving. You've got, we've got to be people that are involved and we're active. So evidence of stuff that you might think would disqualify you doesn't and it shouldn't 
And it's actually no excuse to hold you back from moving towards maturity. Who I was last year, this time last year, should not be who I am today. I think I've mentioned it before, but Smith Wigglesworth, who was a British evangelist in the late 1800s, he didn't even give you the benefit of saying, hey, don't be who you were last year. He used to say, if you're in the same place you are today, yesterday, if you're in the same place today as you were yesterday, you're a backslider. That's like, oh, gosh. Backsliders dated language. It's, yeah. Not quite user friendly in today's culture, but we, we want to be people that are changing. We want to be people that the Spirit of God is moving amongst, and ministry isn't the qualification, sorry, maturity isn't the qualification for ministry. I think it is a key to being healthier and to being more fruitful, but it isn't the qualification. Now, I don't want to get massively sidetracked on talking about maturity but as I was thinking about this I thought hey there's there's a couple of things that are worth saying about maturity and how we can move towards it the first one is I believe we need to have a teachable spirit who we are who we're becoming who and how we influence how we use our skills our talents what we're building towards how secure we are the state of our relationship with Jesus, the state of our hearts, the state of our thought lives, how obedient we are, how selfless we are, who we're led by, who we're influenced by, depends on us. Because our discipleship and our walk with Jesus and our journey towards wholeness is our responsibility. And we've, we've got to take responsibility for that. Circumstances, as much as at times they may be painful or challenging, needn't dictate who we become. Jesus is the one that we look to. Jesus is the one who tells us who we are. He's the one who tells us who we're becoming. And he's purposed us and he has plans for us to use each of us. And I guess my question to you is, are you willing to let him? Are you willing to live like Jesus? We've got to ask ourselves some questions about our relationship with Jesus, about how we maintain it and how we develop it because we're led out of our personal walk with Jesus. I would, I would say currently culture is desperate, absolutely desperate for good leaders. So much of society is so deeply cynical and suspicious of the agenda of those that lead us and yet there's a longing within all of us to be led and to seek out people that we can actually trust and have authenticity. When we have to ask ourselves, who is it that we listen to? Because if you don't consciously choose a leader, you will subconsciously be led by somebody else. You will be led because culture says, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then if we're not aware of it, it starts to disciple us. And so we need to carefully pick who our role models are, who our influences are, as they're the people that start to shape who we become like. So, so my question would be, who is influencing you? Who's challenging you? Who's speaking into your life? Who's bringing accountability and challenge and encouragement? Who do you admire? Who do you look up to? Who's your, who are the role models that inspire you and push you closer to Jesus? They're the people that you want to spend time around and learn from and ask them to speak into your life. Steph and, Steph and I regularly ask people that lead us, people that we admire, speak into my lives. If you see anything in our lives that needs addressing, just say it. Don't 
don't be gentle with us. Our blind spots need revealing. How can we become freer? How can we become healthier in who we are, who we're becoming in our leadership? How can we pursue holiness and obedience in any way that we can? And I'd say to you, put accountabilities and ba- put accountability and boundaries in place to allow yourselves to be healthy and on track. We, we'd often ask ourselves, who would we be if we hadn't let Jesus lead us? The trajectory that we were on prior to giving our lives to Jesus, if we'd have just followed our own desires, who would we have become? We need to decide to follow Jesus. And I would say in that place, we find hope and freedom and community. We found ourselves among loving, life-giving leaders that have offered us love and patience and kindness and in places where we've become known and we know that we're accepted and I would say in those environments in those places that's where your soul will flourish that's where you will grow into all that God has for you honestly why would you not jump into that with both feet okay so as we talk about maturity the first one is a teachable spirit the second one the the second thing I'd say that leads us towards maturity is being healed There's many things we could talk about, but I just specifically wanted to mention these two. If we're looking to serve and to minister to others, we need to work on the stuff in our lives that inhibits that and not overlook it. And uh, in Matthew 7, verse 4, Jesus says this, How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see the past in the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Now, we may not have got the whole plank out of our eye, but if we're aware of it, we need to give it some attention. God matures us through the experience of life in a church community. It's kind of how discipleship works. God heals us in the process of ministry both to us and through us, we, we move forward in, in ministry and we do stuff in his name. And as we do that, we grow in maturity, wholeness and holiness. So don't, don't write yourself off. Involve yourself, allow yourself to be involved in that process. As we just jump back into looking specifically at serving and ministry, the, the second thing I wanted to say is, is God's gift, not yours. It really is his gift. So we just have to learn to steward it well and to steward it with humility. We have to realize that any gifts we have, we can't alone do the full work of the church or all that he has for us. There is a self-sufficient element, I would say, in all of us that think we can, but we can't. And that teaches us to be thankful for those who have gifts that are completely different to ours. And at times, your strengths are going to balance other people's weaknesses. And equally, we can be incredibly grateful that, that their strengths make up for our deficiencies. This, this really serving ministry thing, it's a body thing. It's a family thing. It's an army thing. We do this together. And Paul urges everyone, discover them, develop them, invest in them, distribute the gifts. Let them... Give them out. Give out what God has given to you and you'll see it multiplied. Every resource that God has provided for us 
should be in use. We should be using the gifts. Every one of us should steward that, that ability, that gift and that resource that he's given to you. And we've got to be people that learn to understand it and people that learn to maximize it. Now, the list of gifts in Romans 12 is far from exhaustive. They were, they, but those ones are commonly referred to as motivational gifts, which really means they should be central in our lives. They should be a, almost a hub of, of the wheel around which other, other gifts can center and revolve. Now, often I'd say, I know this has been true in my life, we only use part of it or we don't fully step into it. Some of the reasons I think are the ones that I listed earlier. We don't think we can or we don't think we want to or whatever it might be, you'll have your own thoughts and reasons. I think it's worth, as we go through this season of looking at the gifts, just spend some time soul searching. What, what is it that limits you from fully living out all that God has given to you and all that he's put on your life? Because we need you to. We don't function fully until you live out all that he's put on your life. Would, would you buy a house if prior to buying it, you were only allowed to see one room? Would you buy a car if all you could see prior to buying it was like the lights or the, or the tires? Would you, I say this one, I kind of do sometimes, but would you pass judgment on a book after only reading a paragraph? Yeah, I think I have. But... Um, not only is that true with like a house and a car and a book, I think it's true in evaluating life. One failure doesn't make a person a failure. One achievement doesn't make a person a success. We only have a fragment so often when we look at these things. Life's mishaps and horrors are only just a page out of the overall picture in the grand book. And we... I've got to be slow about drawing conclusions. We've got to um, reserve judgment on life's storms until we actually know the full story and the wider picture. But so often, I think we pigeonhole ourselves or we pigeon other, pigeonhole other people and their gifts. We have so much to offer. Individually, you have so much to offer, to uncover, to discover. Don't, don't you find it, I don't know if you've ever done like personality profiling or anything like that, but you know, like Myers-Briggs or whatever it might be. You can so quickly get pigeonholed. You're the introvert. You're the extrovert. Therefore, in this situation, you're going to act, respond, or think like this. It's like, really? Such pigeonholing, I think, when it comes to the gifts, can be spiritually stifling especially when that's matched with an inaccurate understanding of the gifts. So many have fallen to this type of thinking. I think they stumble by the wayside when they fail to measure up to false expectations. Instead, we've got to understand that spiritual gifts or graces, as verse 6 refers to them, are, are personally administrated by the Holy Spirit and in varying degrees at varying times and really it should be kept simple we've got to keep it as simple as we can and as soberly as we can in a non-showy way realize that these are just gifts that are exercised by the holy spirit through the holy spirit through us when we're willing so paul says of the gifts he says if it's serving let him serve serving 
I don't know if you know, servant is the same word from which we derive the word in the Bible, deacon. And it refers to a variety of services that a deacon or a deaconess might perform in a church. Now, the one who serves is to exercise that gift to the fullest. It's like if you serve, you, you really need to serve. Give it everything you've got wholeheartedly to serve the church, just as Philip and his friends do in, in Acts 6, you can read it. Now, you might be like, well, okay, so who's the deacons around this place? We, we just don't believe in titles or positions. So leadership is functional. It reflects the heart of a servant. We don't have positions like elders or deacons. We don't use titles. I, I was always say, please never use a title with me. Please call me Paul. <laughs> Sometimes people walk in and they call me like, I'm like, oh, don't, please don't. I'm not Pastor Paul. I'm just Paul, please. I like eating pasta. Let's leave it at that. But don't, we're not the kind of church, I hope, well, we're not, who are ever going to print name badges and be like, oh, the apostle or the prophet and so on. We don't have designated elders. An elder is as an elder does. So my view is always like, let's just see who's doing some elding. You know? We're, we're blessed to be a church that are full of servants. Servants of Jesus, servants of the church, servants of his cause in the city. And that's really what I want to call us to today. This, this isn't like, oh, you only get it if you've got a lanyard around your neck. No, it's already on you. It's just got to activate and you've got to live it out. And I love hearing stories of that. I love seeing where people live out to serve others. I saw it this morning. There was a, there was a um, team of people out in the car park in the rain, welcoming you as you came in. Not only that, doing it so well. Some of you weren't coming in. I was like, they're just chatting out in the rain. Maybe that's just a Manchester thing, but I thought, actually, you're doing that so well. Last Sunday, this guy walks in, and, um, you know, to us as a community, a new person, they're an emergency if they're on their own. Like, friends can wait. We want to introduce people to other people. We want to say, hey, you're welcome here. Come and meet somebody else. And um, anyway, we, we want to embrace people as a community because it's so important. John 13 says, our love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So our love for each other should be, and our love for others should be front and center to what we do. Anyway, this guy walks in, and I think he's from, um, I might be wrong, I think he was from Austria, it might have been Switzerland. Anyway, um, he's cycling across the UK, which is like, that's a barking mad thing to do. I didn't say that to him, but he's going from like the north of England right down to the south of England. And he just happened to stop here on the Sunday morning and come to church. So on the Monday, I found out by accident that a few of you have taken him for lunch that day. Don't you love that? I'm like, this guy's just come as a one-off and he's gone out for lunch with a load of you. Not only that, some of you had him sleep the night, so he had a bed for the night. I'm like, that is phenomenal. We don't just love people so that they give their lives to Jesus. We don't just love people if they're going to join us. We don't just love people if they fall in line with our patterns of thinking. We don't just love people if their behavior fits what we think it should be. We just love people. End of. We serve people and we minister to them and we're generous and we're hospitable because that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus tells us to do and that's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do and that's what we should be known for and known by the world 
and that's what changes and transforms lives, and that's what no human can really outside of the faith community make sense of, because it's the power of God on display, and the power of God is the love of God that is completely unconditional and beyond all measure. Now, if you were here last week and Zeke were here, he would be like, we want to say glory to that. You know, somebody praise him. But now this, this is, I, when I got to this point, I was writing this Friday night, half 10 in the evening. And uh, my neighbor texts me and says, are you in? And I text back and say, yes. And they're like, I need some help. Can I come round? And I'm like, no, I'm writing a talk. For goodness sake, go away. No, of course I didn't say that. I didn't even think that, thankfully. I'm like, come round. How can I serve you? I didn't say that. That's like Christianese. I said, come round. What, what's going on? And um, we've got to seek out opportunities, even when they inconvenience us, to serve people. And um, I was so grateful they texted me. Now. It's like, perfect illustration at the perfect point. Anyway, um, final thing. This is a short one. Serving and ministry means sacrifice. The disciples gave everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their jobs. They gave up their way of living. They gave up often their close relationship with their family. And it was far from easy to do. Often then when they found themselves in these positions, it was really hard, I think, emotionally to be told, hang on a minute, your attitude and your way of living, your behavior needs completely realigning. We, we can't build the church on consumers. They, they would desert us at a moment's notice because they're not going to have their own needs met. Jesus took 12 disciples and he built a movement that changed the world. He could never have done that on consumers. Serving and ministry is going to involve significant sacrifice. If we have a loyalty to Jesus and the gospel, that comes before our work our religious tradition, our families, our money, our fear, our past, our comfort, our popularity, our perceived self-interest, comes before our own lives. Giving everything to Jesus is incredibly costly. I believe we all carry the gift of serving. We all carry the gift of ministry. I believe some of you do and some of you will carry that with phenomenal measure. Some of you will see it increase at specific times for specific purposes, but we all carry it. And we're all called to live it out, to see it grow and to see it flourish. And to do that is going to mean sacrifice. Now, I would say it's relatively easy to gather a crowd of people, but it is vastly different and actually a lot harder to birth a church community. I love what I see here. I love what the Father is doing among us. I love the green shoots that are starting to show. But we aren't looking for a group of loosely connected people. We're looking for an assembled gathering of disciples. Now, if I was to finish where I started, I said the unity and the knowledge and the maturity and the wholeness of the disciples came through their involvement in ministry and serving and serving and ministering to others. I've personally seen that time and time and time again. Sometimes it's easier to see it in somebody else's life than it is for them to see it in their own lives. But I'd encourage you, if you want to see more of Jesus and you want to become more like him, serve. Just serve. Don't wait to serve. Don't disqualify yourself for serving. Just serve. Join a team. 
join a team that causes us to create spaces for others and creates environments for others to come and be family on a Sunday. Join a team that allows us to serve this city. Join a small group. Be part of a community that will love you and serve you and seek opportunities for you to love and serve others. And in that process, you will grow in maturity, wholeness, and holiness. Now, if you don't know how to serve and if you don't know where to serve, serve your small group leader. Be the first in, be the last out. Ask them how you can serve them and all that they're doing. Choose three people in this church that you could serve. Just mentally take a note, who, who could I serve in this church? How can I start to meet some of their needs? How, what are the free colleagues at work that I could serve? Do I have free neighbors? I don't know why I landed on free, but I'm like, sometimes you've got to make a mental note of people. Do I have free neighbors that I could serve? Imagine it if we all did that. Imagine if we gave our lives to those people in that sense of serving and ministering because serving is a gift and his gifts are his grace and ultimately the gifts are an expression of God's grace at work and as we serve, we're an expression of that grace of God that's at work that he calls us into for his glory and ultimately for our transformation. Why don't we stand together?